Open your Bibles this morning to Luke 23. And we are starting a brand new series this morning uh, that I have been really excited about for quite a few weeks now. And uh, love like Jesus. And so I know that we have come out of the Easter weekend. Um, I know that we've celebrated a lot last weekend about the resurrection, that Christ has overcome not only uh, the grave, but sin and death and hell and offers to us eternal life for those that would trust in Christ. And so uh, this morning, I want to talk about what that love that Christ had for you looks like. And ultimately, so that we can then, by his grace and by his leading, allow that love, that, that, that Christ-likeness to, to come through us and how we interact in our world today. And so I am so excited for this series. Uh, it is a three-week series, and so I encourage you again uh, to just commit right now this morning to say, Lord, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be either in person or for those online. I'm going to connect online for the next three weeks, and I'm going to make sure to make it a priority to be there um, because we want to see what God is going to do. And that's ultimately why we gather, is it not? Uh, to worship him, but also to get into his word and allow him to lead us and guide us and conform us into the things that he would have us to be as a Christ follower. And so I have to say, before we get too far into this, it's so great to have uh, Aunt Norma with us today. Norma Powell is with us. This is Barb's sister. And so it's great to have her with us. I would say she's my favorite aunt of all of Sandra's aunts, um, but this is recorded. So if I admit that publicly, then we're going to be in trouble. So you're one of my favorite aunts, but you know, you know what we're saying. So we're good. Okay. So Absolutely. Um, either I'm just saying, um, some of you know, uh, a few years ago, I was blessed to be able to go to Romania and, uh, Norma's husband, Gary, uh, put that group together, led that group and it was a blessing to be able to go with him and do that. Um, and so I don't get made fun of as much when it's just Norma that visits and not Norma and Gary. So that's always good too, but we are so thankful to have you with us this morning. Thanks for being here. But, uh, in, in, in this series, we're going to unpack some pretty I pray pretty impactful things that we're going to kind of allow God to work in our hearts and minds. But before we even get into the content, a sermon series called Love Like Jesus, uh, in our culture today, our church culture today, uh, there's a reaction to that. And um, it's something that kind of, depending on where you're at, uh, you're at, it seems as though a lot of believers are at one end or another of that, a response to that. And here's what I mean by that. In our world today, the word love is used quite a bit, is it not? Um, we say, I love my children, I love, you know, I love my dog, I love Chinese food, right? Like we use the same word love for those things. We understand that the level of love, the type of love we're talking about varies and is deeper for one than the other. Uh, maybe for some of you, that's only slightly different from Chinese food to your children. I don't know. For me, it's pretty close. Um, I do love my children more than Chinese food, but man, it's sometimes, you know, um, some days. But we understand that. But in, in, a, in a church culture context... Uh, when we hear things like, you know, that we need to be loving, um, in our weird church culture today, it seems like people take that one of two ways. It's either uh, the church culture says, okay, if we love like Jesus, we never talk about sin. And we never talk about the, the bad things. We never talk about judgment. If we love like Jesus, uh, we just accept them and we accept all that they do and we're cool with it because we love like Jesus. That's, that's one reaction when we hear this phrase, others hear the phrase love like Jesus, and they tend to think because of that other extreme, because people have gone that way or far that way with, you know, just accept everything. There's no judgment. Everything's fine. There's no hell. There's no nothing. It's all fine. Because of that extreme, some believers have gone, unfortunately, the other end of a spectrum and go, nope, you know what? Yeah, I love you, but 
and then they just verbally unload on them and, and don't really communicate love. They communicate a lot of other things. And so it feels like we're kind of at, because of this extreme, we react and we go to the other end of an extreme, and we're, we're really supposed to be kind of striving for that balance, are we not? Are we not supposed to strive for a life that says, Lord, I know that sin is real, I know that judgment is real, and I know that, that there is a place called hell and that you sent your son to die on a cross for those that would receive him can be saved from their sins and find eternity with you. And we communicate all of that. The gospel communicates all of that. We don't need to emphasize one part over the other because the gospel says all of it. We don't deny one part of it in favor of another because the gospel says all of it. But in saying those things, we need to be careful that we don't forget that Paul says, you were like them, by the way, before you were saved. See, I feel like when we, when we drift away from realizing that we were saved from those things, that when we forget about how deep and wretched and despair we were that know Christ— the more we drift out of remembering that and the more we've propped ourselves up in spiritual pride, thinking it's, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I live a pretty good life. The more we do that, we forget that, wait a minute, when I'm communicating these truths of the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, I better remember, as Paul says in Galatians 1 or 6.1, to do it humbly. And so I want to kind of set the stage and say that as we talk about a series called Love Like Jesus, this is not a mushy, feel-good message. Because, again, this is what some believers, oh, it's just one of those feel-good, mushy, you know, Jesus was a hippie, you know, and all this kind of stuff. By the way, he didn't float around good, just, oh, hee-haw, you know, that wasn't Jesus, okay? But Jesus also didn't walk around throwing firebolts at people either. I mean, think about this. When, when James and John said, hey, they've rejected you, Jesus. Can we call down fire and consume them? Which is crazy to think about. They didn't put you up for the night. So let's just destroy the whole city. Because, I mean, what did Jesus say, though? He says, no, no, you don't even know what you're saying. And, and my point in that is this. Sometimes as believers, if we're not careful, we're not so much praying for fire to fall down, but we're, we're kind of hoping for it. We're kind of hoping God will hey, just get rid of these people. I mean, they're just useless. They're just sinners. They, I mean, come on, look at how they're living. And I only can imagine when I know when I think those things, when the spirit says, but weren't you one of them? And wasn't it my grace that saved you, not your works? And so when we open up this series, we have to understand this is not a gushy, mushy, feel good message, but this is also hopefully going to awaken us to the reality that sometimes we need to love like Jesus, not just in our words on a Sunday, but in our actions as we all need to learn to do. But let's be real for a minute. Even that title, Love Like Jesus, that should cause you to go, wow, that's a lot easier to read that than it is to live that. If we're being honest, it's a lot easier for me to read those words, love like Jesus and say those words than it is to actually go out and live it because I know me. And I know I'm not able to do that apart from Christ working in me. And I know even with Christ, I still stumble and fall in that area of my life. Another thing that I've heard in Christian church culture over the last so many years, and this is nothing new, it seems to be heightened in the last four years or so, but it's really not. It's been, I mean, a long time, is, is what I like to call, and this is stopping us from loving like Jesus, I call this the second grade defense. The second grade defense when you were raising your children, or now that you have grandchildren, or maybe you don't have children, but one day you will, prayerfully, and, and you'll have these conversations where if you have more than one child, or even if you have a, a, an only child, and that child goes to school or interacts with another kid, you're going to have this conversation. I have two boys, 
And as they've grown up through the years, this has happened multiple times. And if you can relate, you don't need to raise your hand, but we'll know by your reaction. One child does something to the other child. Super mind. It could, I know, it's shocking. Yes. You have that Lego. I want that Lego. I'm going to take that Lego because you know what? Ultimately, I want it. So the child takes something from the other one. The other child responds by saying, hey, that's my Lego. Give me my Lego back. And walks over and tries to take it back. And any parent knows what happens next is either a shove, right? A punch, a smack, right? And so one child goes to take the Lego back and the other one goes, hey, that's my Lego and shoves them to the ground. Well, now the other one gets up and goes, hey, that's not cool. That hurt. And they talk like this when they're children. It's very calm. (laughs) Not much emotion. It's very chill. And they walk over and they just sock the other one right in the mouth. Boom. Now, I know some of you are like, I can't believe you're admitting that happens in a pastor's home. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it down a little bit for you, okay? <laughs> if anybody tells you that, they're, that these things don't happen in their home to some degree, right? Because, well, n- now, not in my home. My children never talk back in my home. They are lying to you, okay? Don't listen to them. I'm just telling you. Kids are kids. Anyway. So then those two children now, right? Now I'm using, saying my two kids. I've seen things like this happen over the years. It's obviously lessened as they've gotten older, but when they were younger, they come to the parent. And usually the story is shaped by the one that gets there first, is it not? And so the one that gets there first, what are they going to highlight in this story? All that they did to me, right? Well, he took my Lego or he punched me or whatever. And then the other one comes in. And I, you know, as a parent, what do you do? You, you kind of silence them one and go, let me figure this out. It's like you become like Matlock or Perry Mason, right? Like you got to like, I got to decipher the case here and figure out who's telling the truth. So you kind of, okay, hang on a minute. Let me talk to them. And you look at the other one. Now the other one, whether they're hurt or not, they're probably crying because they know if I show tears, there's compassion and they'll think I won't discipline him. He's already, you know, he's already upset. It doesn't work in my house, but some kids have tried this. So they come and they say, I'll ask them, did you, whatever it is, did you take the Lego? Did you punch them? Did you push them? Whatever it is, they they part of the story they did. A kid will say something like this. Yes, I did punch them, but they did this first. Now, one thing we've tried to encourage our kids to know, and as an adult, I still struggle with this if we're being honest. And if you're an adult here today, it doesn't matter how old you get, we all struggle with this. Trying to get them to understand just because someone does something to you doesn't mean you need to react in the exact same way back to them. You guys get this, right? This is, is this parenting like 101 right now? Okay. You can choose to respond in a different way. And they will, then you get them to understand this. And just because they did something wrong to you, which you acknowledge the first child or the second one, everyone comes to you. What they did was wrong. They shouldn't have taken the Lego. They shouldn't have pushed you. But that doesn't make what you did okay. So I call this the second grade defense. It's, yes, I did that. But my defense for doing that is, well, they did it to me first. And if I'm being honest in my own life as a follower of Christ and things I've seen in church culture, there's a lot of second grade defense going on. Well, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to pray for them, but look at what they did. And we excuse 
unchristlike behavior using the second grade defense. I didn't say we don't acknowledge it is wrong. I didn't say we don't address the, the, the wrong that was done. I don't, I don't even think we're acknowledging or that we didn't acknowledge there's a consequence for doing wrong. All of that's fine. Not even debating that. But how we respond to the situation is what we control. And so as we get into this series, I want us to kind of think through all of those different avenues and then ask God, God, give me application in this. And so the first thing I want to look at as we open up this morning is Luke 23. As we begin, I want to recognize that when we love like Jesus, we will forgive sinners. We will forgive sinners. Luke 23 and verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the male factors, or thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And this is one of those verses that just, I can't get my head wrapped around this. This wasn't Jesus interceding for these individuals that were crucifying him before he went through the process. This isn't him after the fact and, and, you know, time has gone on, months and months have gone on. And now he goes, okay, father, I'm going to ask that you forgive me. In the very moment of crucifixion, he actually, what this is, is this is a prayer. This is a prayer of Christ to the Father to say, Father, those that have whipped me, those that have beaten me, those that are nailing me to this cross, those that are mocking me and ridiculing me and sinning against me right now, I'm going to intercede for them. I'm going to ask that you would forgive them. Some have suggested if Jesus did not pray this prayer that God the Father or that the angels could have responded in a way of taking action. But Jesus chose, as we see again here, to humble himself even unto the point of the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. This does not mean that they were all instantly saved. This does not mean all of their sin was washed away. He was praying a prayer of intercession over them to say, Father, hold back your judgment on them. Father, give them time to repentance. We know that between this point and the destruction of of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, there's a long period of time that repentance was given, time for repentance rather was given, so that the gospel could go forth. Jesus, in the, the most horrible moment of his human life, after just being beaten and tormented and whipped and bruised, saw the joy of you and I in our salvation. Hebrews tells us that. He endured the cross and despised the shame. And see, here's the crazy thing. In the same way he prayed for those individuals there, the Bible says he's praying for you and I. He's interceding for us before the Father. Father, I know that was not right what they just did, but they're under the blood. It's not that God's got to be convinced of that. I'm kind of being a little dramatic in the the way it might look, but, but understand he is praying for you. And just like he was willing to forgive sinners on the cross, he's willing to forgive us today. I'm going to ask, I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's just pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds and give us wisdom in applying these things as we move forward. Father, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for revealing this to us. And we pray, Father, that I know in our church culture today there are sermons weekly or, or just often 
that seem to suggest one end of an extreme or the other. That if we love like Jesus, we would never talk about sin or death or hell and that the reality of judgment, that we would accept people exactly as they are and never bring those things up. And we'll talk about that, Lord, that there's a line there. But Father, there's also messages that while maybe they don't specifically say you don't have to love them, you don't have to serve them, Man, Lord, if I'm just being honest, I've heard messages in the last so many years that I don't hear much grace. I don't hear much opportunity of forgiveness and the reality of grace that can forgive sins. I hear a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. Father, I don't know what it is that, or why it is that we as human beings, as followers of Christ, we struggle with walking that balance of understanding we can be very honest and real with the reality of sin and the consequences that follow. But we can also say, but there's a God who gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and can be forgiven. And Lord, I just pray that I, I know I don't have all the answers. I know no one in this room has all the answers. People on TV and YouTube and all those things, Lord, I know that there are sometimes going to be times we just don't have the answer, but I pray that we'd get into your word. And we desire to live like Christ by your grace. We're not going to get it right all the time, but when we fall, I pray that we would turn back to you and allow you to strengthen us and give us wisdom. Thank you for being that protector, that one that we can gather under the wing of your protection and your providence. When the trials come, when the difficulties come, we don't have to fear. You've allowed those things into our lives, but you'll also deliver us through those trials. Sometimes before sometimes through. Lord, sometimes you allow us to go all the way through those things and you bring us home because of them. But ultimately, that's a reward. Father, again, we pray that in all these things you'd be glorified and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 22 is a a powerful passage to, to grasp in our understanding. And as we begin this journey through learning to love like Jesus, we need to kind of ask the question, how did Jesus show love? And then are we, by God's grace, desiring to show love that way? While his own creation was doing the worst to him, he was willing to show forgiveness to them. Again, before we can love like he did and does, we must first understand how he loved. I have to acknowledge it this morning. Many of you know I use an iPad to preach from, and I forgot that at home this morning. And so we're going old school today. This is paper. It's pretty crazy. Like you can print words on it and then you can read off of it. It's awesome. Um, I just, it's so weird to me. It's been so long since I've filed through a paper on a Sunday morning. But, um, but I want to talk about how did Jesus show love? How did Jesus, if you would, display love before us? The first thing we have to acknowledge is that Jesus loved by demonstrating it before us. Jesus loved by demonstrating it before us. Romans 5, 8, right? But God demonstrated, the King James says commendeth, or the word basically means he displayed, he showed, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die because he deserved death. He died for us in our place so that we may know him and be forgiven of sin. Jesus merely coming into the world living among us, going to the cross and rising again, all affirms and communicates the love of God for us. He did not only tell us that God loves us, he showed us practically what it looked like in relationships with others and with God. When you read the gospels, you see Jesus communicating love, not just between him and God, 
right? Not just when he displayed the love of God as far as preaching the gospel and preaching grace. Every time he paused, had a conversation, spent time with someone, had a dinner with someone, had a meal with someone. He was communicating in practicality the love of God for them by serving them, by healing them. I mean, think about one of the great blessings and purposes of a miracle was not just to affirm the deity of Christ and to advocate that he is the Messiah. It was also to bless the one being healed. I mean, how many times do you read in the Bible where Jesus looks out and he goes, he was heartbroken over what they were going through. He was brokenhearted over the situation the people found themselves in. He looked at disease and disfigurations and all these things, and he just was crushed by it. And he had to act. He had to heal. Because he wanted them to know, he wanted us to know that he loves us that much. I've heard it said and believe it is so true. Love is not something you just say, it's an action verb. Love is not something you just say. It's an action verb. He served those he was with. He blessed them with healing and provision. He was patient with them, gracious, truthful, kind, genuine, and here's the part some people leave off, direct. He was direct with them. He didn't pull punches. He didn't just, you know, it's not that big of a deal that you sinned. He was honest with them. But isn't it amazing, the more direct and true he was with them, the more honest he was with them, because it wasn't just truth without love, it was truth with love, the sinners flocked to him. I mean, just think about that. People today, based on church and what church looks like, nobody would invite Jesus to a party. For just being real. Like, if you're not a church person, you're unsaved, you're out in the world, and they're like, hey, you want to bring Jesus? Nope. I don't want Jesus here. Are you kidding me? But isn't it amazing that time and again, we see the tax collectors, the publicans, the sinners, those that were looked down by the religious. When Jesus was coming, they would actually invite friends to come meet Jesus. Other sinners to come meet Jesus. See, when you think about this, Jesus didn't hide the truth. He didn't compromise the truth. He told the truth, but in a way that was coupled with grace and truth. And he said, listen, I'm just going to love you where you're at. And then I'm going to tell you what God can do to change where you're at and make you who he wants you to be and who you were designed to be. He demonstrated the love of God in many ways. But the greatest could be and must be forgiving sinners. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to go over there just real quick. I love this passage. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. The gospel of Matthew, recording all the many things that Jesus did while he was on earth. Matthew 9 and verse 1. I love this passage. And thank you for bringing your Bibles with you so you can read along. Whether it's on a device or in print paper form, uh, we encourage, obviously, you to bring the word of God with you so you can see these are God's words. It says in verse 1, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. Now this is one of those lines in the Bible that should cause a little hairs on the back of your neck to stand up. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said. See, we can fool everyone else. 
We can talk a good talk. We can, we can look the part. But Jesus knows our very thoughts. He knows the deepest parts of our hearts. He knows you better than you know you. Notice these scribes, these religious leaders, they didn't say it out loud. <laughs> they probably were really Baptists before there was the Baptist denomination. But, you know, they're just mumbling amongst themselves. I can't believe he did that. Did you hear what preacher did? Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk about that at lunch. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so have some roast preacher. So it says here, they just said it in themselves. And he, they accused him of a sin. To blaspheme is, is a sin in their eyes. I mean, that's, that's light. That's, that's, we're going to take your life for that. But they don't have any confidence before the crowd because they see Jesus doing the work of God and they're confused. Wait, wait, but how can he? Goes on to say this in verse Four, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. So he's asking a question. Which one's easier? Okay? Here's the question he's posing. Is it easier for me to say, Your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, Get up and walk, to heal you of this disease? Verse 6, But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, so the emphasis is where? Is it on the physical or spiritual? It's on the spiritual. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. I've always found it interesting that he told him to take his bed with him. Now, don't think bed. We think bed, we think what? Like a twin or a queen. Could you imagine that? Be like, all right, let me take my, my bed with me. All right. I moved recently and that was not fun. We moved a few beds and I was like, this is stupid. Why are the mattresses so heavy? Don't think like king, queen bed, okay? It'd be more like a mat, okay? More like a thin mat that you could lay on. And it would roll up and he most likely rolled it up, put it under his arm and walked home. I'm always amazed that he said, take your bed and go home. Don't just leave the bed. And I've always wondered why. And I think it's because every time he saw that bed, he remembered what God did for him. Sometimes in life, we go through things, as Renee talked about, and it scars us sometimes physically. Sometimes we have actual physical things that come out of that. You know, if you're in a, a bad situation, you have a physical limp or something like that. But sometimes there's these emotional things that are left, scars that are left. And it's so frustrating. God, why don't you just, you, I know you could, why don't you just remove that memory, remove that scar, just get rid of it. But I wonder sometimes, and I don't know this for sure, but I wonder sometimes if God doesn't just, I'm going to leave that there because I want, every time you to think about that, I want you to realize how good I am and how I've worked through that and how I've taken care of that. And I don't know if that's the reason 100%, but that's what comes to my mind when I think about why does he say take thy bed? And I think it's to be reminded of that experience. Verse 8. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. You see, when we understand this, this is honestly one of my favorite moments in the life of Christ because it displays his power, not only in the physical, but in the spiritual. Jesus has the authority to forgive sin, and he is the only one that can because he is the judge. The only one that can and will judge the world in sin is the one that pardons. Jesus pardoned this man, and he pardons those that would call out to him. One author said it well. He had the power to forgive sin, just like he had the power to heal paralysis. In fact, Jesus used the physical healing to confirm his authority to dispense spiritual healing. 
He said, here, watch. If you don't think I can forgive sin, watch me heal the sick, and I'm going to show you that it's actually their faith that saved them. They're spiritually healed. Now watch me heal them physically. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, to forgive us of our sin when we repent and trust in him. But the reality is, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. This is not new with the character of God. This is not a new thing with God's character, that now with Jesus, he's going to start forgiving and being loving and showing grace. This is the characteristic of God we see from Genesis forward. Hosea 14.4 says this, I will heal their backsliding. You ready? I will love them freely. Hosea 14.4. I don't know, maybe that didn't do anything for you. For me, that makes me want to worship a little bit. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Okay, still didn't do anything for you. All right, that's fine. Okay, we're just going to keep moving. We're just going to keep trucking along here. I'm going to try it one more time. Maybe somebody will get a little bit of a a, a worship moment going here. Hosea 14.4, I will heal their backsliding. That means they didn't earn it. That means they don't deserve it. That means they didn't do anything to make it happen. That means this is just God being God, being gracious and loving. I will love them freely. Does anybody, thank you, praise the Lord. I know it's a little kind of, you know, outside right now, but we can get excited in here. Do you, I mean, do you ever stop to think about the reality when it says that I will love them freely? Freely. Not because I've earned it, I've done enough. This is not a earn it kind of thing. This is a receive it kind of thing. This is where I just say, God, I don't deserve this, but you love me freely. So I welcome that I receive that love. I don't deserve it. And that should blow us away. That should, that, should, that should shake you to a part of you that realizes how much God loves you. Again, he demonstrated it before us, and he did it greatest by forgiving sinners. So in this idea of loving like Jesus, how do we, how do you and I love and forgive like Jesus? How do we love and forgive like Jesus? Now, that's, again, one of those things that's easier said than done. But I want to give you a couple ideas here of what God's word shows us of how we can put this into practice. Luke 6, 28. Turn there real quick. Luke 6, 28. Next time I make a good point, you guys will be ready for that one. I just had to kind of, we had to prime the handle a little bit, get you ready. And the reason I say it's a good point is because it's from the word of God. Amen. It wasn't my point. It was God's point. Luke 6, 28. Okay. Vic knows. He's like, I know what's up. Okay. This is, again, if you haven't highlighted this, underlined this, circled this, colored it with crayon, I I don't care. But if you haven't noticed this in in this passage, I pray that you will today. Bless them that are really nice to you. Bless them that are like-minded. Bless them that do the schooling you like. Bless them that have the same views you have politically. Bless them who are of the same mindset. Bless those who go to your church like you go. Bless the neighbor that returns everything they borrow in a promptly and timely manner. No, it doesn't say that. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. Man, guys, I'm just being real. That's, that's a hard one. When someone's cursing you and just saying things against you and tearing you down. Now, again, this may not be one-on-one. Maybe this isn't a, a corporate setting, just a bigger scale. Two things we're admonished to do. Bless them. And I believe, you might say, what's the, how do I bless them? 
in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I would say the way we bless those who curse us is by praying for them. I think Jesus here was was given an extension of that. I'm asking you to bless them that curse you, and you bless them by praying for them. The reality is Jesus can give us this command to pray for those that persecute us and desire to harm us because he prayed for those that persecuted him. What does he pray in Luke 23? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed a prayer of intercession in the the midst of being crucified. Jesus demonstrated this for us and gives us the strength to live it out. If you're taking notes, Matthew 5, 43 through 44, you have heard it it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hmm. That's my kind of translation. I want to love the neighbor that I like, but I don't want to love the ones that are my enemies. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, sometimes we need to stop listening to other voices and just go to Jesus's word. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. While listening to a sermon a couple weeks ago, um, and I encourage you, listen to, to the word of God being preached. Find some speakers you like, maybe even find a couple you're not big fans of, and just kind of start broadening that out if you feel confident in your faith with Christ that you can kind of decipher through those things, discern those things. I was listening to a sermon, and I try to listen to different ones. Um, I think I mentioned it before. I went through this thing a couple years ago where like Billy Graham sermons, I don't know what it was. I was just like on YouTube, like one after another, listening to Billy Graham sermons. And it was just awesome. I was amazed by messages that were preached in the fifties and sixties, their relevance today. Um, that spoke to me that, that maybe God's word can really speak to wherever we're at, whenever we're at. But I was listening to this sermon a couple weeks ago and I heard a story. Uh, So the guy that was sharing the sermon, doing the message, had been at a conference. And he heard this missionary that got up right before he was supposed to go on and speak. And this missionary shared a story. And as I was listening to this, I just had to share what I heard in this message. This is around 2008, so a few years ago. The missionary's home, uh, this missionary apparently was a missionary in the Middle East. This missionary's home received a package in the mail. So his home in the Middle East received a package, and this package was brightly decorated. Uh, Stickers and smiley faces and all kinds of fun things on the package. And so the thought was, well, this must have been like a um, care package. And I know we've got the Hodges with us who are missionaries in Latvia, and I'm sure you guys love getting care packages from back home in the States. And so they, you know, they think, oh, this is like some kind of a care package from back home. So the, the family wasn't home. The mom and dad weren't home, but the teenage son was. So they bring, he brings this package in a little bit, and he's excited because he's thinking it's a care package, and he opens it up, and it's a bomb. And the explosion knocked this young man all the way across this large living area. And just, just this massive explosion ripped through the home. He was badly injured, near death. They did not think he was going to live. But he did live by the grace of God and for more than two years went through multiple surgeries, plastic surgeries, different forms of, you know, repairing the issues that he suffered for two years, a little more than two years, surgery after surgery after surgery. A little over a year and a half after the bombing, they caught the guy that was responsible for the bombing. He was arrested. 
And as this missionary is here in the States and he's telling the story and this, this pastor that kind of shared this message, he's off to the side and he's just in tears because he just can't believe. He's like, I cannot imagine, you know, obviously having children of his own and, and what would you do in that situation? And the missionary was telling this story and he opened his Bible and he pulled a picture out of the man and he held it up. He said, this is the man that was arrested for the bombing. And he puts it back in his Bible and he says, and I keep it in my Bible so I can pray for him every day. And if you think that's good, this is why I want you guys to get a little primed, a little ready to go. If you think that's the power of God, the teenage son finds out that the guy that did the bombing has some children who are now not able to see their dad, not able to be taken care of, having some needs and some wants. And the teenage son says, hey, dad, what can we do for those kids? How can we serve those kids? How can we minister to them? How can we let them know that God loves them? How can we be Christ to them? See, that's that's the power of God in our lives. Humanly speaking, I'm not taking a picture of that man to pray for him. In my flesh, there's so much anger and just, just, just rage. And this missionary said, man, you know what? I pray for him every single day. See, that's the power of God. Not only to serve them, not only to give lip service, but to actually pray for these individuals that would persecute you, that would curse you. And again, I, I, I just feel as though we're at a, a weird place in our world today, not just in our country, in our world today, where the church, we need to refocus a little bit and get back to praying for those who persecute us. And it's fine to speak truth, please, again, I feel like I have to almost give this, and I don't know why, but it's, it's fine to speak truth and be honest and be real. But man, we better be on our knees praying for these individuals, for these people. So we honestly and obviously, the one way we show the love of Christ is to pray for those that hurt us. But also we forgive as you and I have been forgiven. Galatians, Colossians, sorry, I think I said Galatians, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you. And we, we, we love that part, don't we? As Christ forgave you, so also do ye. There is such freedom in knowing that you and I are forgiven of our sins by God. When we know firsthand the power of God, we will understand that as I was and am being forgiven, so we can forgive others. I love how one commentary breaks this verse down. So it takes a couple of the words here and breaks them down. I'm going to give it to you, and I pray that it would encourage you. So the first word we see is forbearing. So forbearing. And if you realize in that text, in verse 13, forbearing, it's written in a present tense. That means this is currently happening. Forbearing as to present offenses. Then we see the word forgiving as to past offenses. So we've got forbearing, that's the present offense. Forgiving, that's the past offense. Quarrel, this is something that we could cause to blame or cause to complaint. It causes us to complain or to blame. So we could go, hey, you're at fault for this. You did this. This is your bad. I'm going to hold this against you. I'm going to say that this is, I'm complaining against you. 
But there's a word here that we have to also acknowledge, not just forbearing, forgiving, and quarrel, but there's a word there, that name, the name is Christ. Listen to what the commentary went on to say. Christ, who had infinitely greater cause of complaint against us. Now, we have some complaints against people in our lives. That's, that's just living in a fallen world. I'm not saying we don't acknowledge it. I'm not saying we don't admit that that hurt, that that was wrong. We can have a conversation. We can say that was wrong. We can say, I forgive you, but we can't have a relationship. We can't just go right back to reconciliation because in our friendship or whatever relationship, because we need to work through some things, but I can forgive you. But so often we hold those things and we hold them against people. And we say, yeah, but you don't get what they did to me. And I understand it was wrong. But if we're being real, the Bible says we can forgive as Christ forgave. And if Christ had infinitely greater cause of complaint against us and forgave us, then he says we can in Christ forgive others. It's so cool. This last Thursday in our men's Bible study, just I wasn't really studying or doing the study ahead of the guys. We were kind of all doing it at the same time. So I didn't watch the video for Thursday until Thursday. I wrote this sermon a couple weeks ago. And as I was sitting there listening, the whole talk was on forgiveness. And I was like, God, you are so cool that you would align all of this and orchestrate all of this to come into the same week. That is Joseph. And it's all about the study of Joseph and the life of Joseph. As Joseph had opportunity to take vengeance against his brothers, to have his way over them and just to throw them in prison. Because after all, they threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. But they said, oh, we'll be gracious. We'll throw you in a pit. Then we'll sell you into slavery. He ends up in jail for a crime he never committed. And he gets forgotten there. Years and years and years go on, and finally he's elevated to a position of authority in Egypt. His brothers come before him, not recognizing him. He could have just cast them away, but he shows grace. He doesn't, acknowledge, or doesn't uh, deny that they did wrong. He says, you sold me. <laughs> and I love Dr. Evans pointed this out. When they sold him, they thought they were the ones in control. But Dr. Evans made it so clear. Joseph realized, you sold me, but God sent me. And in the same way, God works in these things. And so I understand it's wrong what people have done. It's, it's okay to have that conversation and to say, that hurt, that was wrong. There needs to be some kind of working this out. But we can forgive instantly. We can forgive in the moment and then move from there to reconciliation as God would work those out. The truth is we have no room to hold a grudge against anyone when we have been freed in Christ. For nothing we have done, but purely by his grace. The reality is I've been preaching consistently or weekly for about 16 years now. Which is crazy to think about to me. Weekly or consistently for about 16 years. And no matter how many messages I have written, I've thought about sitting down and just trying to count them all up. um, And just figure out, okay, in 16 years, how many messages have I actually written? There might have been some duplicates in there over the years, but I'm just saying, you know. I mean, you guys don't remember, so it's fine. (laughs) Now it's all on camera, so I can't get away with that anymore. But but I was thinking about that. And all these messages that I've written, there's one overwhelming truth that really has never diminished in 16 years. It's never lost its impact over me. It never grows old. It never fades And to be honest, I pray that it will always be at the forefront of every message, of every sermon series that I do. And that is this, that you and I are saved by grace alone. 
There is nothing you've done to earn the love of God. And if we start forgetting that, and we forget that we were just as wretched, and I've tried to use this illustration this way to help you understand this. Think of the most vile sin you can imagine. Think of the most vile sin that if someone committed this sin, it would just, it would turn your stomach. It would cause you anger and you just get so upset. Think of that sin. And now times that by like a hundred. And that's your sin before God. Not their sin or that specific sin. That's just your sin. And yet through Christ, he says, would you come? I invite you to be forgiven. And so I'm not saying we don't acknowledge that there's wrong in the world. I'm saying we better be very careful that when we open our mouths, that we are thinking, God, how can I communicate your love of the forgiveness of sinners so that people will know, yes, sin is a real thing, but we need to know that grace is greater. That where sin may abound, grace much more abounds. I'm going to give you a couple questions to close. We're going to pray in just a moment. I want us to think through how God would apply these truths to our lives. This is for you to think about on your own. You can write them down or I can give them to you later if you'd like them in print. But we're going to pray an invitation, uh, have an invitation song and have a time of response in just a moment here. But I want to ask a couple questions. Have you ever held a grudge against someone in your life? And how did that unforgiveness affect you? Have you ever received unexpected forgiveness? And what was that like? How did that affect you? Is there anyone you still need to forgive? And how will you take action instead of waiting for your feelings to change to forgiving them? Dr. Evans pointed out in our study this week that forgiveness is not an emotional decision. It's an intellectual one. It's the decision we made of our, make of our mind. We don't make the decision because our emotions say to make the decision. We make the decision and we, our emotions catch up to that decision. And so however God is working in all of this, I pray that you would respond as he gives you the leading to do so. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are so thankful for your word. It's challenging, Lord, to hear the things that we read therein. But I'm so thankful that you are over all of this. Father, as we have this time of invitation, as the band leads us in a song of invitation, I pray that we would respond as only you can give us leading, Lord. I thank you for this. Uh, those that are in attendance here, Lord, those that have come together physically, thank you for their their attentiveness this, this morning, Lord, their, their willingness to come and to hear your word, and I pray that you would bless them for it. And Father, again, I pray that you would stir in our hearts and minds all that you have for us. Lord, open up an opportunity for understanding that we may go into this world, Lord, walking that balanced biblical walk of being real with people, being honest, being direct when needed, but I pray that everything everything would be seasoned and flavored with your grace. You say in your word, let our words be seasoned with grace. That everything we say would be encouraging and edifying to the one receiving it. Thank you for forgiving us and may we learn to forgive others by your grace. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that has unforgiveness in their heart towards someone, I pray that you would draw them to the point of understanding they can forgive them. They can make that decision, whether here at the altar or they're in their seats. Father, may you be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of invitation? Do you need to come and pray? Do you want to come and bend a knee? Say, God, thank you for forgiving me when I was undone. For 
loving me when I was unlovable. Maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, thank you for that love. Or maybe you'd come and pray and say, God, help me to forgive this person in my life for your glory. Would you respond?